Last week, we began Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 is all about how to relate to one another in the gray areas, areas in which we may disagree with each other, where both parties may come to two very different conclusions about secondary matters. Both honor the Lord, yet both disagree with each other. So these are not essential matters of Christianity. We're not talking about disagreements over who is Jesus or how can someone be saved or um, over things that are clearly called sin or commands in Scripture. Those are essentials. Those are primary and those are clear. We're talking about secondary, non-essential things that aren't always as clear to us in the Scripture. We're talking about things like worship style. We're talking about things like church tradition, food, drink, parenting styles, political affiliations, things like these that get a little bit more complicated and faithful Christians come to different conclusions. It can be difficult to relate to each other when we disagree with each other about these things because often these things are highly emotional even though they're not technically essential. So it's good to have some guidance about how to love each other in these areas. Uh, For the Roman church that Paul was writing to in Romans 14, their gray area that was causing trouble had to do with diet and days. Some people thought that it was more holy to remain restricted to Jewish dietary laws. Other Christians thought that it was more holy to enjoy their freedom not to be restrained to Jewish dietary laws and holy days. So in light of the gospel, we know that Jesus saves us from sin, but he also saves us from religion. We don't have to obey our sin anymore, and we don't have to try to earn God's favor through religious activities. So both sets of Christians were honoring the Lord, but they just didn't see this issue in the same light about these religious activities. So that brings us to today's passage, because the problem that was arising for them is that they were judging each other rather than serving each other. So Paul continues to explain through the rest of chapter 14 how we are to relate to each other in the gray areas. I'd like to read it to you once more after having that introduction and that refresher for your memory of what this paragraph is about. I want to read it to you one more time. I want you to listen for two commands and one reason that these two commands are so important. So let's read it once more. Listen for the two commands and why they are important. Romans 14, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So the first command that we're given, how to relate to each other in the gray areas, 
don't pass judgment. It's very simple. Don't pass judgment. At the beginning of verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, the verse begins with the word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you have to go look and see what it's there for. It always points you back up to the paragraph right before. So let's look back up to verses 10, and, uh, 10 11, and 12 to see why he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. Starting in verse 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, based on this, based on the fact that we, each of us, has a court date coming up with the true judge. Based on that fact, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, thankfully, in Jesus Christ, we don't have to stand before the true judge based on our own record. That's what Christianity is. We receive Jesus's record. So thankfully, when we face the true judge, it's not going to be me trying to explain why I'm worthy of being with God in eternity. I have Jesus's record to hold on to. But the fact remains that we are all going to stand before the true judge one day. Therefore, don't any of you pass judgment any longer. When we are judgmental, it's like we're sitting in God's seat. We're sitting in his judge's bench. And one day he's going to come back. And we don't want to be found sitting in his seat. And it's really quite ridiculous. When we're judgmental, we might as well be wearing the big robe and the powdered wig and holding a gavel. We're doing God's work. We're declaring guilt or innocent, innocence as though we are the judges. And we're not the judges. God is the judge. And one day we're all going to see him face to face. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. You may think that this is not immediately applicable to your life. But I'll bet some of you are doing it right now. I'll bet some of you are passing judgment right now. Some of you are thinking, I hope such and such is listening to this. Because they are judgmental. I deem them guilty of judging people. I hope they're listening to this. How often do we hear sermons and think, I hope someone else hears this because they fail at this all the time. I have to confess, even while preparing this sermon, I was thinking of individuals that I was thinking, oh, they judge people so much worse than I do. I hope they hear this. I hope it hits them right between the eyes. We pass judgment on each other in the private courts of our minds. We pass judgment on each other in the public courts of gossip and criticism and complaint. And it's ridiculous. We are not the judge. God is the judge. Some of you might think, well, 
aren't we supposed to inspect fruit? Aren't we supposed to be aware of each other and making sure that folks are growing in the fruit of the Spirit? And if we see problems, aren't we supposed to be aware of that? Aren't we supposed to be concerned with that? Yes, that is true. We're not meant to be unaware of how we're doing spiritually as brothers and sisters. But we're called to -to face-to-face service, not behind-back judgment. 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's written to you, the church. So yes, if you see your brother and sister um, idle, which can mean unruly or just undisciplined in their Christianity, take note, go admonish them. But that's face-to-face conversation. That's not private judgment or private gossip or private criticism or private complaint. That's face-to-face, courageous, I'm your brother, I love you, service. So whenever you see another church that doesn't do things the way you think churches should do things, it's not your place to pass judgment on them. Whenever you um, go into a restaurant and you run into a fellow church member there and they have a glass of wine on their table, and perhaps you think that that's wrong, which is valid, honoring faithful Christians do believe that, it's still not your place to pass judgment on that person. Whenever you as parents have made your decisions about how you'll discipline or educate your children and you see other parents in the church doing it differently, it's not your place to pass judgment on them. Maybe you can help them, maybe you can serve them, maybe you can encourage them, but you may not pass judgment on them. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. No, in all these things, let us not pass judgment any longer, but, in verse 13, this brings us to the second command, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So we have a twofold command. We have don't pass judgment, and then we have decide to serve. Now, the decision is yours. You're, you and I are presented with a decision, a choice this morning. Will we sit on benches or will we serve in trenches to get poetic? I have another one too. Are we more comfortable with the gavel of gossip or the shovel of service? It's a serious decision. And we each now have been confronted with it in the Bible and we have to decide. So I'm going to read to you the next verses and I need to explain to you, often you'll encounter passages in scripture that are narrow in content, but broad in application. This paragraph is narrow in content. It's, it's just talking about the Roman church and their division created by some of them um, adhering to religious restriction and others feeling free in Christ not to. That's a very narrow content. And I don't think any of you woke up this morning thinking, man, I hope Pastor Matt explains to me how to relate to people who want to adhere to the Jewish dietary rules. I don't think any of you ever think about that. 
This narrow slice of content, I don't think ever occurs to you. I doubt that any of you and your families this week at the dinner table were discussing the Jewish holy days and whether or not it's more holy to adhere to those or to experience our freedom in Christ not to. But even though the content is a bit narrow, the application is broad. The application of what we're reading has to do with relationships in the church, judging or serving, um, destructive relationships versus uh, constructive relationships. So it is important. I want to explain the narrow content to you so that you'll understand the broader application and what this has to do for your life. So I needed to explain that because I always want you to understand how I get from here to my points. I don't ever want you to think I'm some sort of guru that knows stuff. Not that that's in danger of happening anytime soon, but I want you to see the the trail from the text to the points. Um, So hopefully that'll become clear as we move on. But with that in mind, I want to read to you verses 14 and 15. This sheds light on what he means by decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. What he's saying is, yes, in Jesus Christ, you are free. You're free from sin and you're free from religion. You don't have to sin and you don't have to try to earn God's approval through religious practices. But walking in love is more important than walking in freedom. Walking in love is more important than walking in freedom. So in their case, it was about whether or not they should obey the dietary rules and the holy days or whether they were free from it. The fact was they were free from it, but some of them truly believed that they needed to remain restricted to the Jewish diet and holy days to honor God. So it would have been unloving for those who understood their freedom to just push it in their face all the time and say, no, you don't. It would have grieved them and it would not have been walking in love. So don't grieve someone by doing something that they're uncomfortable with, even if you know that you're free to do it as a Christian. Don't destroy someone by coercing them against their conscience, even if you know that what they feel restricted to, they really aren't in Christ. In verse 16, he says, so, or in this way, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of, spoken of as evil. So, you who are experiencing your freedom in Christ, loving those who are still restricted by some religious practices, walk in love and so you will quiet their anxieties about how evil your freedom might be. Okay, does that make sense? This is a complicated passage. I know it is. But everybody's still making eye contact, so you're hanging in good. Thank you. I'll give you an example of this. Okay, with the alcohol question. I have not interviewed all of you. I don't know where everybody stands. I've talked to enough people to know that there's uh, folks in the room who truly believe it is dishonoring to the Lord to drink even a sip of alcohol because it could lead to drunkenness. It's dangerous. It could hurt our witness in the world, and there's no reason for it. We don't have to drink alcohol, so why do it? 
So there are those in the room that believe, therefore, it's more honoring to the Lord to just abstain. Then there's those in the room who believe, well, the Bible never says drinking alcohol is a sin. It says drunkenness is a sin. Just like the Bible never says that seeing a woman is a sin, it says that lusting after a woman is a sin. So these people feel like abstaining from all alcohol is about the same as abstaining from ever seeing a woman. So they feel free in Christ to enjoy a glass of wine with dinner, enjoy a beer with the game. They're not getting drunk. They feel free in that. Both groups genuinely feel that they're honoring the Lord. Both groups completely disagree with each other. Okay? So using this example, okay, I really debated how to go about this because I'm afraid of getting in trouble, but it's just too hard for me to, to do this illustration trying to anonymize it. So I'm just going to be honest and trust you guys not to stone me. Okay. I am, I am in this camp. I, I do not think that drinking alcohol is a sin. I can't find it in scripture. I don't believe it's true. I've also never struggled with uh, temptation to get drunk ever. I, that's not a temptation that makes sense to me. It looks miserable. I have no interest in it. I've never experienced a buzz from any alcohol. Okay, so this, this, that's where I am. I worked at a restaurant where they taught us all about wine pairings with food, and I appreciate that, how certain wines enhance certain types of foods. And so I will occasionally have a glass of wine. I'll tender my resignation tomorrow if I must. But. Okay, so, so that's me. Now, I have a really good friend who completely disagrees with me, and I have great respect for him. And we've had a conversation about it. He firmly believes, as I just outlined, all the reasons why a Christian would find it more honoring not to drink. Okay, so when I go out to eat with this friend, if we go to a nice restaurant, one in which I might have ordered a glass of wine if it were just me, I don't order a glass of wine around this friend because it grieves him. His conscience is grieved by it. He believes it's wrong. And you know, he, maybe he's right. I have to admit too that I don't know it all. This is where I am right now in my maturity in Christ. One day I may change my opinion. Some of you may be hoping that I do. But I don't order it around him because it's not loving. It's pushing what I believe to be my freedom in Christ in his face and it's grieving him. And it could destroy him, which is strong language. Did you see that in verse 15? By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. How could eating or drinking destroy a brother or sister in Christ? I think what he means is, if, if my influence on him in any way pressured him or coerced him to contradict his conscience before the Lord, for him to say, well, fine, I guess, you know, Matt's a pastor and he believes, I guess I will take a drink. But between him and the Lord, he really doesn't believe that that's honoring the Lord. He's just giving in to the pressure of my flaunting this freedom. That is incredibly unloving and it, it runs the risk of destroying him. So it's serious what we do in the gray areas. Me sharing that with you is serious. We kind of laughed about it, but my uh, trepidation is real. Because I do not want to coerce any of you against your conscience. Some of you truly believe that I am wrong. Okay, do you remember back last week, your job and my job is to be fully convinced in our own minds about this, in our own consciences. And we can talk about it. 
But just because I told you my position, that in no way means I'm pressuring you to agree with me in this gray area issue. Does that all make sense? Okay. Can you wait till after the sermon to run me out of the church? So, this is, is narrow in content. We can, we can apply it to the drinking thing pretty closely, although it's not exactly the same. Um, but there's broader application. The broader application for this is rather than bullying people into your way, decide to help them on their way toward Christ. And we do that through judgment and we do that through pressure. But the big idea is rather than bullying people into your way of seeing things or doing things, help people on their way towards maturity in Christ. That's the decision that we need to make. I mean, just think of all the energy many of us have wasted in our lives wishing that other people were perfect. They're not. You're not. So we should just stop complaining and griping and gossiping and judging each other and start helping each other. It's like we're all in this, this big... Um, this big group hiking through the wilderness toward Christ-likeness. We're all in it together. We're all at varying points in our maturity. But Lord willing, we're all moving forward. There's a couple of ways to put a stumbling block or trip or hinder your brothers and sisters while we're hiking together. Have you ever been walking behind someone hiking a, a trail and there's a low-hanging branch, and they bend it back so they get through, and then they let go, and it whaps you in the face. That's sort of the way we stumble or trip and hinder each other when we're experiencing our freedom in Christ, and we're just plowing forward, and we don't care about the people behind us. We don't, that's what it would be like if I really believed I'm free to drink a glass of wine with meals, and I don't care if you disagree. Wow. Another way that we hinder each other while walking this big hike together is by stopping, chopping down trees and building a makeshift judge's bench so we can sit in and critique how the rest of us are walking the trail. So Paul says, don't pass judgment, but decide to serve. Decide never to put a stumbling block. Decide never to hinder Decide to apply yourself to the path of another person rather than sitting atop your judge's bench and passing judgment on them. And some of you may think, I'm not mature enough to really help someone in their path. I'm having enough trouble of my own on my own path. Well, first, that's probably not true. There's almost always someone behind you on the path, someone struggling more mightily on their path toward Christ-likeness than you are. But second, if that is true, do something about it. Grow up so that you can help others move forward. That's what we're called to as the church. We're in this path together. So, you and I, we all have a decision to make this morning. We have this mental switch that needs to flip. And once it's flipped, it needs to stay flipped where we decide here and now, I will not judge my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you really can't do both at the same time. If you picture this big trail, 
You can't sit in your makeshift judge's bench and serve others on the trail at the same time. And you can't be down in the dirt serving your brothers and sisters on the trail while judging them. You have to do one or the other. So brothers and sisters, that's, who we, that's what we are in Christ. Trade in your robe for work gloves. Trade in your silly looking powdered wig for a hard hat. Trade in your gavel for a shovel and get to work. Get to work serving one another. And every time the gavel calls out to you, every time that temptation stirs up in your mind to point out someone's flaws, to declare their guilt or innocence, to gossip with a friend, to criticize, or just to internally look down, whenever that temptation comes, let that be your trigger to serve that person in some very practical, specific way. Every time the temptation comes, decide now that you will, once you recognize it, immediately and aggressively serve that person somehow, some way. You'll pray for them. You'll call them. You'll have a conversation with them. You'll talk to someone who has influence over their life to encourage them. Somehow, you'll encourage them and nudge them along their way toward Christ. Can we make that decision together this morning? Who, who is it for you? Who is it that you're most often tempted to look down on or judge or gossip about or criticize or complain about? Picture them. Now on the count of three, yell their name out loud. No, I'm just kidding. Picture their face and hear this. It's probably true that you notice all the things wrong with this individual because God is calling you to help them, not judge them. It's not sin to notice something wrong in your brother or your sister. That's not the sin. It's how you respond to it. So make the decision to not pass judgment, but to serve. Okay, so those are your two commands, and here's your reason why it's so important. Decide not to pass judgment. Decide to serve because you have influence on people. We have tremendous influence over each other, even when we don't realize it. We can destroy each other, like he says in verse 15, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You could actually be destroying someone at your dinner table. Or we can build each other up, like he says in verse 19. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See, the church is like this crazy, chaotic construction site in which we're all workers— Some of us are building and some of us are destroying all the time. 24-7, the construction site is alive with activity. Some of us building things, some of us destroying things. 24-7. Some of you, you have your crowbars out and you are judging and you are gossiping and you are complaining and you are criticizing and you are looking down and you are destroying your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Others of you, you have your nail gun out and you are serving and you are encouraging and you are being gracious and you are being exemplary and you are building your brothers and sisters in Christ up. So which, which are you? Which influence do you think you're having? Because you're having one or the other. Now you might be tempted to think, well, I know I'm building my brothers and sisters up because I'm in leadership or I'm involved in these various programs or activities. Well, that's not necessarily true. Being in leadership or highly involved just increases the level of your influence over your brothers and sisters for either good or bad. It it trades in your crowbar for a wrecking ball if you're destroying people. It trades in your nail gun for some greater tool for building up that I can't think of off the top of my head if you're building people up. A crane, maybe. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So eating, drinking, or any other religious activity does not necessarily make us approved by God and acceptable to men. Acceptable to God and approved by men. Non-Christians can do religious activity. It's matters of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. You might think, well, I know I'm not destroying people. I'm not even involved in anything. I must be building up because I'm not causing any trouble. I come on Sunday mornings and I leave on Sunday mornings and then I don't, I'm not involved with these people anymore beyond that until the next week. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're constructive. Doing nothing does not equal doing good. Pew sitting is not virtuous. One lukewarm person brings the temperature down of the whole body. So here's the question to ask yourself. Are people better able to move forward as Christians because of their relationship with you? Are people better able to move forward as Christians because of their relationship with you? Or are they tripped and hindered? Think about your spouse. Are they closer to Christ and more Christ-like because they married you? Think of your children. Are they closer to Christ and more Christ-like because you're their parents? Think of your friends. Think of us. Think of your church. Is Doolin's Grove more active and more Christ-like and closer to Christ because of your influence? Some of you truly make Doolin's Grove better. Make your brothers and Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ better, more Christ-like, closer to Christ through your influence. Some of you, through your example, through using your gifts to serve in the church, through your just encouraging words, through your graciousness, through your patience, through your love, 
truly make me and the rest of us and the church at large a better group of people. And to you, I just say thank you. There's many of you. I want you to think about that question for a minute and think of who in this church has done that for you, has made you a better Christian, closer to Christ, more Christ-like, has made your path easier to move forward as a Christian. Who in the church has served you in that way? I want you to think of them. I want you to picture their face. And I want you to tell them that. Maybe in the lobby, if they're here this morning, just tell them, you know, when Matt was saying that about how some Christians influence their brothers and sisters constructively and they build up their brothers and sisters and they make it easier and and better to walk the Christian path, I want you to go, I want you to know that I was thinking of you. God has used you in that way in my life. Go tell them that. Tell them thank you. If they're not here, call them this afternoon. Send them a card. Take them out to eat. Let them know. And then emulate it. Because that could be you. So we all know that we could stand to judge less and serve more. What I'm telling you is that we must make the decision to judge less and serve more. Because it's not just your life that's at stake. It's the life of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the church and the kingdom of God as a whole. Don't pass judgment. Decide to serve because you influence people. Now, in just a minute, we're going to sing a short song, and it's, it's a prayer in song form. And here's the lyrics. I'm going to read you the lyrics so you can know what you're about to sing. The lyrics are, Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, Make me a servant, make me a servant, make me a servant today. I just invite you to pray this song, sing this song, mean this song. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And through his service, we're declared innocent from all of our sins. So now, as the recipients of Jesus' service, let each and every one of us decide, 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 never to judge and always to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul says in verse 19, to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding.